Well, hey, my name is Promise Bradley, and I am really, really honored to get to share the Word of God with you this morning. I never, ever take it lightly whenever I'm afforded this opportunity. I will never take it for granted. It is beautiful, and it is so fun, and I'm just, I can't, thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, The title of my message this morning is, Is God Disappointed in Me? I just want us to think about that question for a moment, because... I think if we're honest with ourselves, no matter where we find ourselves today, whether we are a non-believer, whether we're a new believer, whether we've been a believer our entire life, that question has come up in our hearts. I know it has for me, and sometimes it's just on a subconscious level, right? It's like I'm not really recognizing the question, but it's there, it's nagging at me. Like, is he disappointed in me? Have I let him down? Some other ways that we could put it is, am I a disappointment to him? Is he angry with me? Really what we're asking is, what's he like? Really what we're asking is, what is his response? What is his attitude? What is his posture when I fail? When I mess up, when I make a mistake, how does God respond to that? Because it matters how he responds, right? Because that's going to determine how I'm going to respond when I make a mistake. Is he the type of God who's easily angered? Is he displeased with me? Is he the type of God who's really hard to please? Is he the type of God that when I step a toe out of line, he's there to correct me? Do I measure up? Am I enough? Come on, church, have you ever thought that? Am I enough? What about this one? Am I too much? (laughs) You know what's funny? Y'all are laughing because you know. (laughs) You know what's funny though? Those two, they always come together. You do something, whatever it is, like for me today, being up here, and the voices will come, oh my goodness, you were too much for those people today. You should have reined it in a little bit. No, 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 you weren't too much. You were not enough. You should have let it go a little bit. And they come together and they start arguing. And for some reason, we just listen to the argument instead of going, you know what, y'all are crazy. Um, I'm going to go over here and believe what God says. Am I enough? Am I too much? Am I too far gone? Have I messed up too much? Are my sins too great? Does he regret saving me? Does he regret creating me? Does he even like me? What is he like? What are his thoughts towards me? Because I don't, I I mess up. And how does he respond? You see, I think this is a question that we all have from time to time. I think it's a question that keeps many people from turning to God in the first place. It's a question that keeps many people from receiving the free gift of salvation because they're wondering, but God's disappointed in me. He is angry with me. I don't want to turn to him because he's kind of mean. I think it's a question that keeps a lot of Christians from living up to who God has created them to be. That when we don't have questions like this settled, and by the way, it's okay to ask questions like this, right? It's always okay to ask God a question. Can I just set you free about that 
this morning, it is always okay to ask God a question, even really, really hard ones. Because listen to me, when you ask God hard questions, he leads you to awesome truths. And I believe that that's what he wants to do this morning. He wants us to have these questions settled because when these questions are not settled in our life, they lead to all sorts of turmoil. They lead to all sorts of strife within us. They lead to all sorts of striving within us. They lead to all sorts of bondage and torment. And so today I want to get these questions settled. Don't you want to do that this morning, church? I don't want to ever have to wrestle with these questions ever again. So that's what we're going to go after this morning, okay? But before we do, I want to start out by telling us a story, okay? This is found in the book of Luke 15, chapter 15. We're not going to go there. You can if you want. Yeah, Luke 15 is the best. I love Luke 15. (laughs) It is. Jesus is telling this story, and it's really the gospel within the gospel. And he's telling this story, and he says, there once was a man, and he had two sons. And the younger son came to the father, and he said, Father, I want my share of the inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you die. What he basically was saying, I wish you were dead, and I really don't want anything to do with this family anymore. Give me what's coming to me, because that's all that matters to me. And the father did. And then the Bible says, Jesus said, he went to a far land. He went far away. Have you ever gone far away from God? And he goes far away, and he starts living it up, and he's having a grand old time, church. I mean, he is partying. He is spending money. He's buying drinks for people. He's buying prostitutes. He's having all this fun. He's partying it up. And everything's awesome in his life. And he's free. He's free from his dad's rules and his dad's reign in his life. And he gets to do whatever he wants. And then a famine hits the land. And everybody's hungry, including this boy. He's starving. And he's actually, he's broke. He spent all his money already. And so he convinces this farmer to let him feed his pigs so that he can get some money from the farmer so that he can buy some food, right? And he's feeding these pigs and he's feeding them slop. He's feeding them the leftovers off the table. He's feeding them like nasty, gnawed up corn cobs that somebody's already eaten. By the way, who, how many in here are around the world with your, yeah? Yeah, that's wrong, people typewriter (laughs) that's the right way sorry sorry and the toilet paper goes over the top like this not in the back (laughs) hallelujah (laughs) so so he's feeding them these nasty corn cobs that somebody's already eaten on right he's feeding them all this nasty stuff and he's so hungry that this trash looks good to him have you ever gotten in that place where you might not even have realized how far away from the Lord you got. Like, you didn't do it on purpose like this guy. Like, you just kind of drifted away. We call it drift theory. You just kind of drifted away from the Lord, and you wake up one morning, and you realize you've been eating trash and thinking that it was good. Anybody? You ever been there? And he's like, what am I doing Jesus said he came to himself and he said, what am I doing? In my father's house, even the servants have enough food to eat. Why am I here? I'm going to go home. This is what I'm going to do. He he formulates this great plan. He's like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to repent to my father and I'm going to kneel before him. I'm going to say, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Please just take me on as a hired servant so I can eat. That's how desperate he got. And now this is when we pause in the story 
to bring you a commercial. And that is this word disappoint. What does it mean? Was there ever a son who was more of a disappointment to his father? Was there ever a father who had more of a right to be disappointed in his son? This word disappoint, if you look up the origin of it, the etymology of it, what it meant before it means what it means today, this is really cool. I got a lot of revelation out of this. See, that prefix dis has a negative connotation, right? So anything that comes after it is negated, Okay, anything that comes after dis is negated. So a disappointment means a wrongful appointment. An appointment, we understand, is when we put somebody in a position, right? So you would be disappointed if you were put into an appointment that you were overqualified to do. If you were wrongly appointed, you would be disappointed. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. Let's say you, um, you go to apply for a job and you are qualified to be the CEO of this company. Your resume and everything says that you're qualified to be the CEO, but you're hired as the secretary. That would be a disappointment, right? Not only would you be wrongly appointed, you would be disappointed. <laughs> it's like if you were qualified to be the general in the army, but you were made the private in the army. That's what the word disappointment means. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, so he decides to go home, right? And while he's going home, the Bible says, Jesus said that the father sees him a long way off. This is really important, church. I don't know if you know this, but it was important that the father saw him a long way off. You know why? Because the thing that the son had done was so disgraceful that if anybody in that village had seen him first, they would have stoned him. They would have ran him out of town. And they said, no, no, don't you show your face around here. Don't you dare try to go talk to your father. Do you know what you did to him? You rejected him. You were so evil to him. You were so wrong to him. Get out of here. The father had to be looking for him. That's what that tells me. He was looking for his son to come home. That's the heart of the father God. He's looking for people to come home. And then the Bible says that the father ran to him. This is amazing. This is an incredible word for you this morning because back in that day and that time, men did not run. You know why? Because they had those really long robes. And in order for them to run, they had to pick them way up above their knees. And it was indecent. It was ridiculous. It was foolish. It was ludicrous. That is the grace of God. He does not care to be made to look like a fool for you. The grace of God is foolish to this world. It makes no sense. It's absolutely ridiculous, church. I love it. I'm so glad it's that ridiculous. I'm so glad he feels like that I'm worth that, that level of ridiculousness. And so the father runs to him, and the son falls at the father's feet, and he's ready to rehearse his speech, and he's starting to tell him, you know, hey, I've sinned against heaven and you, and, and I'm not worthy to be called your son, so just take me on as a hired servant. And what does the father say? He says, no, no, no. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on him. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the fatted calf because we're going to celebrate because watch this. My son, not my servant, my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. Do you know what the father was doing in that moment? He was refusing to let the son disappoint him. He was refusing to let the son put him in a position for which he was overqualified. He was saying, no, 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 I'm not going to be your boss, 
I'm going to be your father because it doesn't matter what you do, you cannot change who I am. It doesn't matter what you do, church. You can't disappoint God. You can't put him in a position for which he is overqualified for in your life. He will always be father. God is God is God is God. Nothing you do will change his identity. None of your, our unrighteousness will change his righteousness. <sighs> Come on. That is good news. Man. Now here's the ticket, though. God's given us free will. It's our choice whether or not we want to turn and go home, isn't it? The father left it up to the son. He said, okay, if you want to go, go. That's your choice. I'm not going to make you stay. I'm not going to make you love me. It's always our choice. But he always, always, always empowers our choice when we turn around. When we turn around, no matter how many times, when we turn around, he's right there. And he's not there ready to scold, is he? He's not there ready to demote. He's there to restore. He's the God who runs to you. And this is not just a one-time event. Can I tell you, Christian, who's been serving God your entire life, and, and you've messed up a few times, maybe recently, maybe on the way to church this morning, and you're just living with all this guilt and condemnation all the time, and all this striving to try to please God and everything. Can I tell you that this grace walk is an everyday thing? The Bible says that his mercies are new every single morning. That means every morning I can receive the same grace that I received on the day that he saved me. The day that he saved me was amazing. I was nine years old, and I went down to the altar, and I buried my head in my hands, and I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real, but if you're real, I want to see your face. And in the blackness behind my eyelids, Jesus came and visited me at nine years old, and I saw his face, and I was slain in the spirit, began speaking with other tongues, giving glory to the Lord. And it was the most amazing moment of my life. I felt such freedom. I felt such lightness. Even at nine years old, I was carrying sins. And, and, I, and I felt such freedom. And I walked away so light. And see, there's, it's a lie that you can't feel that way every day. It's a lie that that is just for salvation, that that, that that experience of freedom is just for salvation. It is for every single day of your life. We can walk in that grace. We can live in that grace. In fact, we're meant to. That's why Jesus died. He died for that. Come on, church. That's such good news. But here's the deal. It's our choice to turn and go home, right? We have to make that choice. All that is is repentance. It's just turning around to God. But isn't it easier to turn when you know that you're not going to be met with his disappointment and his anger? I think it makes it so much easier to turn. But you see, we can refuse him. We can reject him. We can run from him our entire entire life, but that does not change who he is. His nature, his identity, his righteousness is not changed by our unrighteousness. And so often we expect to be met with disappointment when we turn, condemnation, punishment for our shortcomings and mistakes. But just like the father in that parable, he's the God who runs. And I want to show you this in the word. In Romans 8, this is what it says about you. When you give your life to Jesus, this is your identity. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. In the Amplified, it says no guilty verdict. 
No punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has set you free from the law of sin and death. If I'm still so concerned about God's wrath towards my mistakes, I don't know that I'm free from the law of sin and death. Why do so many people have such a hard time turning? I think it's because of that fear. That fear that he is disappointed, that he's mad, that he's let down. Why is that fear even there in the first place? If we know that he's a good God, if we understand grace, if we've experienced it at least once, why is that fear there? I'm, I'm just telling you, it's in my life. When I mess up, sometimes it takes me days to really turn to the Lord because I'm just under such condemnation. I just feel like he's so disappointed in me. I'm not living up to what he died for. Anybody? Come on. Why? You know, some of us, maybe we grew up with a very disappointed parent or parents who very rarely expressed their pride in us, their delight in us. Maybe they felt it, but they didn't express it, or maybe they felt it, we didn't feel it. And they often told us they were disappointed in us, or their actions or their reactions told us that they were disappointed. I know for myself, many times I have told my children, I'm really disappointed. And you know, if I could go back and if I could separate my anger about that situation from what was going on, I don't think I would have said that to them. I'm just being real with you. I'm just being honest with you. Because my delight is in them. I delight in my children. I love them. I am proud of them. They are the apple of my eye. And when they mess up, the truth is, when I separate my anger, the truth is, I'm not disappointed with them. I'm just disappointed for them. Right? Because they've messed up, and now they're going to have to deal with the consequences of that, and I never wanted them to have to deal with those consequences. And God feels the same way. You know why? His anger is removed. You know why? His anger was satisfied on the cross of Calvary towards sin. That's good news. Maybe we, in our current situation, we have someone in our life that's constantly disappointed in us. Maybe it's our boss at work. We just can't ever seem to live up to the expectation, right? Or maybe it's our spouse. Our spouse is often disappointed in us. Or maybe it's still our parents. Or maybe it's even our children have expressed disappointment in us. Or maybe we've heard a lot of messages about God that kind of paints him in this light as as this condemning judge who's looking over our shoulder who's saying, oh, you better not mess up or you're going to pay. And you always mess up. Come on now, I've heard messages like that before in my life. They're out there. Or maybe we've just disappointed ourselves. Like, we've made some choices, we've made some mistakes, and we've just really let ourselves down. And so we're in this vicious cycle of, like, self-loathing and condemnation and guilt and shame. And all we see are our mistakes and our failures. And we're just looking at that. And can I tell you a truth? Whatever you behold, you will become. So if all I'm looking at are my mistakes and my failures, it starts to become my identity. It starts to become what I believe about myself. That's why we have to take our eyes off of our mistakes and we need to put our eyes on Jesus on the one who has dealt with it at the cross. 
Can I tell you something? God is not like all of the disappointed people in your life. And you are not the sum total of your mistakes and failures. You have an identity in the kingdom of God. And when you turn to him, he restores you to that identity. He restored his son to sonship. That's what he does in our life. Check this out in 2 Corinthians 5. I love this scripture. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he's trying to explain to them about this experience that they've had with salvation. And he's saying, look, when you give your life to Jesus, you become a new creation. Do you understand? It's not just something that happens. You literally become brand new. You're literally like a brand new baby. And all of the old stuff, all of the old junk, all of the sins, all of the mistakes, they, are pa- they pass away. They die. Jesus became your sin, and he died. And we are dead to sin because he died. And we are raised to new life in him. And he says, don't you understand? And then look in in verse 19. Let's pick up there. He says, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself when Jesus went to the cross. Watch this. Not counting people's sins against them. And in the Amplified it says, but canceling them. Do you know that God doesn't just not count your sins against you? He cancels them. Think about that for a minute. He cancels them like they never happened. Now I know and we understand that in the natural that our sin has consequences, right? And we have to deal with that, right? I got to deal with the consequences that come up as a result of my sin. But in the spiritual, it's been canceled like it never, ever happened. And that's not just a one-time event. His mercies are new every day, so I can turn around every single day and receive that kind of mercy. Now, promise, are you saying that sin's not a big deal to God? Sin is absolutely the biggest deal in the world to God. It was so big to him that he dealt with it by sending Jesus to the cross. That's how big of a deal it is to him. God hates sin. You know why? Because sin hurts us. And sin keeps us from him, and sin keeps us from our true identity in him, and sin keeps us from being exactly who we were created to be before sin entered this world. Made in his image to show forth his glory to this world. He hates sin. God's not being soft on sin. Don't get that from this message. He has made a way for us every day to be free from sin. Go on, it says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is, restoration to favor with God. Favor with God, meaning he's pleased with you. He delights in you. He's not disappointed in you. Watch this. So we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We, as Christ's representatives, plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made Christ who knew no sin to judicially be sin on our behalf so that in him, watch this, we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him, not a disappointment to him, acceptable to him, and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. I know you've heard it a million times, but it's time to hear it in your spirit this morning. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. God is so righteous that he felt it righteous to declare the unrighteous righteous. I love it. That's good news for me and you, because I am not righteous. I have no righteousness in and of myself. My righteousness is filthy rags, but he made me righteous. It's his righteousness. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I, I kept hitting this brick wall because I was like, can God even be disappointed? 
Like, is that in his nature to be disappointed? And this is what I discovered. When you think about disappointment, it requires two states of being, right? It requires surprise and frustration, right? Like, I'm surprised because I had an expectation and you didn't meet it, and so it frustrated me, so now I'm disappointed in you, right? Does everybody get that? Disappointment requires surprise and frustration. So then I said, can God be surprised? Can God be frustrated? The definition of surprise, I know we all know what a surprise is, but take a look at this. An unexpected or astonishing event. Can anything you do be something that God did not expect? I'm talking about the God who created time. I'm talking about the God who exists outside of time. I'm talking about the God who sees the end from the beginning. I'm talking about the God who knew the sin that you were going to commit this morning when he saved you 30 years ago. I'm talking about that God. Can we surprise him? I love this. A revelation. An eye-opener. A wake-up call. Can you give God a wake-up call? Can you give God revelation? I'm talking about omniscient, omnipresent, God, all-powerful God. Can God be frustrated? The definition of frustration is this, to have your plans and purposes thwarted, to be prevented from accomplishing something, to be successfully opposed. Can you successfully oppose God? Now, hold on. I know what you're th- You're like, well, I can in my own life. Yes, but we're going we're gonna to talk about that in just a second. But let's look at Isaiah 46, verse 8. It says this. Remember that this is the Lord speaking. He says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, so nothing's a surprise to him. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, watch this, and I will accomplish my purposes. Can you thwart the purposes of God? Now let me explain this. Because this is important that we get this. God has given us free will. He's given us free choice. He had to in order for um, uh, it to be real love, right? For us to be able to really, truly choose to love him, choose to serve him, right? So, I can choose for my life to not be a part of his plan. He's just like the son in the parable. He said, if you want to go, go. And you don't have to come back. That's up to you. It was up to the son to turn around. I can make choices to where my life will not be included in God's plans. But that doesn't change the fact that God has a plan for my life. Do you understand the difference? He still has a plan for my life, and his plan for my life has not changed, will not change. It's my decision whether or not I'm going to walk it out. And the moment I turn around, he restores me back on that straight and narrow path. Okay? I meet a lot of people who maybe, maybe they're older, and they feel like, you know, I was called to do this, that, and the other when I was younger, and I just, I really messed it up. You know, I went my own way and I really messed it up. Can I tell you something? God's plan for you has not changed. The moment you turn, the moment you say, here I am, God, send me, he's going to send you. It might look a little different than it would if you had made the decision back 30 years ago, but you know what? 
it's never too late. You know what? Peter messed up big time. And you might be saying, but you don't know what I've done. I messed up real big time. You know what Peter did too? He denied that he even knew Jesus after knowing him, right? But God's plan for his life still stood. Now, it was up to Peter whether or not after Jesus resurrected and and Jesus came to Peter and he was attempting to restore him, it was up to Peter whether or not to say yes to that, right? And so Peter had denied him three times and Jesus, after he resurrected, he comes to, to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times because he denied him three times, so he was restoring him because God doesn't miss anything. And so Peter said, yes, you know I love you. And then Jesus said this, then feed my sheep because that's my plan for your life. Don't let this mess up. Don't let this mistake derail you from what I have for you, from what I've called you to do, amen? We have the choice whether or not our life is gonna be a part of God's plan. But the moment we choose, it can be, amen? Esther, a really great example of this is in the book of Esther. I love Esther. Man, there's so much there. We don't have time to go into it. Go read Esther. It's just like four chapters. You'll love it. It's so good. But anyways, Esther, the long and the short of it is this. She was a Hebrew girl who was in a position to convince a king to set her people free and not to kill them and commit genocide. And her cousin Mordecai came to her And she was just kind of being whatever about it. She was just like, "Mm, I don't know what that has to do with me. And Mordecai came to her and he said this in Esther 4, verse 14. He said, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. You know why? Because I will accomplish my purposes. He said, but you, you and your father's house... You'll perish, and who knows if you've not been brought to the palace for such a time as this. Church, I don't know about you, but I don't want somebody else fulfilling my purpose. I want to do it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss this grand, awesome, amazing venture with my Lord. Here's the thing. God's purposes will be accomplished. We choose whether or not we get to be a part of it. If, first of all, Jesus came, and he died for all of humanity, right? Amen. All of humanity. However, let me tell you something. If all of humanity rejected that sacrifice, if all of humanity, if no one ever was saved, if nobody decided, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to praise him with my life, do you know something? He would be praised. Even if we all decided not to praise him, he would be praised. Jesus said so. When he went into Jerusalem and and his, his followers were praising him and the Pharisees said, tell them to be quiet. He said, let me tell you something. If they were quiet, even the rocks would cry out and praise me. You can't thwart the plans of God, but you get to choose for your life to be a part of them. Isn't that awesome? I love that. Nothing nothing you've done is a disappointment to God because it wasn't a surprise and it didn't frustrate him. It doesn't mean it doesn't grieve him, right? Grief is different than disappointment, isn't it? He grieves over our sin because our sin separates us from the truth about us. Our sin takes us to this place where we start believing something about ourselves that isn't the truth about us. He grieves over it. But disappointment requires a no-hope outcome. And can I tell you something this morning? There is hope for you. There is hope for everyone. No one is without hope today. The only person, entity that is without hope is the devil. 
He is the only one. I want to read this quote to you at risk of losing my place because it's way down here. Um, I want to read this quote to you from Todd White. He said it this way. He said, the devil is the only one on this earth that's rejected, has the right to be depressed, bitter, ashamed, condemned, guilty, and with no hope. Go ahead and clap while I find my place. (laughs) That's the beauty of the cross, you guys. It's so beautiful. It's ridiculous. It's extravagant. It's crazy. It's foolish. It's ludicrous. And I'll tell you what, it's absolutely free. It can't be earned. The beauty of the cross is that God has never wrapped up any of his expectancy in your performance. So you can just take that off the table right now. Because see, if we believe that, then this is what we will do. We will continue to strive for something that can't be earned that we actually already have. You know what it's like? It's Mary and Martha, right? Jesus, he went to his friend Lazarus's house. And Lazarus had these two sisters, Mary and Martha, right? And so he gets, Jesus gets there and he sits down and he's teaching and he's talking about the Lord and everything and telling about his father. And Mary just sits down next to him and just listens and just receives from him and learns. And Martha, she's more like me. She's in the kitchen really working herself up into a lather. Come on, ladies, you know how it is. You know how when you you like having company over and you want everything to be like clean and neat and you're like screaming at everybody, like clean up your room, like come on. Here I am slaving all day and, and nobody's helping me. Why won't you help me? Jesus is coming over. We got to impress him. Come on. That's what she's doing, right? And she's in the kitchen and she's freaking out. And here's Mary. Jesus. And she, Martha goes out and she's like, Lord, tell Mary to come and help me. And the Lord said, Martha, Martha. He literally said that. Martha, Martha. It doesn't make you think of the Brady Bunch. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. He's like, you are anxious and troubled over many things. Come on, have you ever been there? Have you ever been anxious and troubled over many things? Trying to impress the Lord, trying to make sure he's pleased with you. And he said, Mary's the one who's got this figured out. She has found the good portion and it won't be taken away from her. All he requires of us is to receive from him. Now, I know what happens. When you start preaching grace, which is what I'm doing today, in case you haven't figured it out, this entire day is about grace. Um, All the songs, everything was about grace, which we didn't plan, which is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. When When you start preaching grace, this is what happens. A religious spirit gets a little squirmy. Starts squirming in its seat. And going, you can't, listen, well, tone it down. Now make sure you talk about what they need to do. Make sure you talk about all the good works that they need to do and how they need to clean up their act and everything else. Because a religious spirit like that is operating out of fear, right? Fear that God's not really that good. Fear that the grace of God is not the root of holiness, but a fruit of holiness. 
Did you catch that? A lot of times we get this in our head that it's holiness is the root out of which his grace grows. That if I'm good enough, then I receive his grace. That, is, that just negates what grace is in the first place. Grace is the root out of which holiness grows. When you have a real encounter with the grace of God, holiness is developed in your life. It just is. And I'm telling you what, when I get into this place where I'm afraid to preach a grace message, you know what? It's probably because I don't have grace actually operating in my life. See, that religious spirit says, don't over-exaggerate grace because then people will think they can do whatever they want. That's not what happens when you encounter the grace of God, is it? That's not, the, that's not the fruit that's produced in your life. When you have a genuine encounter with the grace of God that cannot be earned and you realize what he's done for you and that he has made you the righteousness of God in Christ, it makes you want to serve him, amen? You just have an incredible desire in your heart. You just wanna be like him. You just wanna know him more. You just wanna follow him. That's the kind of fruit that grace produces in your life. And so this is what I will do. This is my promise to you and my promise to the Lord. I will always, always try to over-exaggerate his grace because it can't be done. It can't be done. You can miss it. You can completely understand what grace is all about, but you cannot over-exaggerate it. There are not words in the tongues of men or of angels that could ever over-explain his grace, that could ever over-exaggerate his grace. His grace is that good. He's that good, church. He doesn't lead with fear. He's not leading you today with fear of his disappointment. See, people think, you know, if we tell them that God's disappointed in them, then they'll really want to clean up their act. That's really actually not. It doesn't work. It doesn't. I mean, think about this. I want to tell you something. My husband and I have an awesome marriage. We really do. I'm so grateful for him. He's my best friend. I love our marriage, but it's not perfect, right? And it, it, just like any relationship, it's, an, it's organic. It's always changing. It goes through seasons. It ebbs and flows. I'm always learning new stuff about him and about myself and, and vice versa. And there have been seasons in my life with him. And by the way, Blake is amazing. If you don't know him, you need to get to know him. And he is so honoring towards me. If you've heard him preach, you know that. Because <laughs> he comes home and I'm like, why did you have to talk about me? <laughs> like, not that I'm embarrassed, just that I'm like, I'm not that good. <laughs> like, I just, I'm just want to tell you guys, I'm not as good as he says. <laughs> um, I'm really not. And one time uh, there was this season where I was really experiencing a lot of brokenness in my life. And I was always disappointed in him. You know why? Because I had an expectation on him that he actually couldn't meet, right? Like I was putting all of my identity in him. And it was like, you have to tell me who I am. You have to tell me I'm good. You have to tell me I'm okay. Church, can I tell you? Spouses, can I tell you? It's not your spouse's role and nor can they can they give you your identity only that that can only come from the Lord right and so because I had that expectation on him he was always letting me down and he could feel it and I was always expressing my disappointment and he was trying really hard to please me because that's what'll happen it'll it'll turn it'll turn into that striving right and he's really striving to please me but no matter what he couldn't 
But you know what? There have been other seasons in my life when I wasn't walking in brokenness, where I was walking in the grace of God and I had so much grace and mercy for him. I just had so, like he would mess up and I'd be like, it's all good. I love you. It's all good. That's not who you are. I still love you. It's all good. You You don't have to worry about it. Which one of those seasons do you think Blake had more joy in? Which one of those seasons do you think I had more joy? Which one of those seasons do you think Blake was happier to come home from work? Which one of those seasons do you think Blake was happier just to sit in my presence? Not say anything, just sit in my presence. Which one of those seasons do you think we had more intimacy in our relationship? You see, God knows that disappointment doesn't lead to intimacy. Only mercy. Only grace. Only love. Only forgiveness. God doesn't lead with disappointment and fear. He leads with grace and mercy and love. Perfect love casts out fear. God is love. The moment you turn, He's not just there. He's running to collide with you. And you can experience it every day.